Welcome to Real Estate Milestones, where we explore fascinating topics in commercial real estate with knowledgeable industry experts. I'm your host, Ben Malik, and I'm a young real estate professional who is passionate about adding value to people's lives through the incredible power of real estate. My goal is to help you discover what the heck is going on in the industry and how you can get involved. This is Real Estate Milestones, where your future in real estate lies just around the corner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Estate Milestones. Today, we have Stuart Gethner who is a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council, and he's an educator um, for new and experienced investors. And he has an interesting path into real estate, which we'll get into. He started by owning pharmacies, um, coming out of pharmacy school, and uh, then made a transition to real estate and has not looked back. So, Stuart, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Great. So let's start. What was your first milestone in real estate? Uh, well, uh, at the time, I was, as you mentioned, I'm a pharmacist. I was working in pharmacy and I wanted to get in real estate investing. And someone brought me an opportunity to do a fix and flip. And I'd never done it before. I thought it would be fun to do. And so that was really my first milestone, my first deal, where I kind of walked out of there with one of those big, juicy checks and thought to myself, wow, this is a lot easier than standing on my feet, counting pills, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day. So maybe I might want to do this more often. And so and it was on a street called Portobello, just like the mushroom. I'll never forget it. <laughs> you don't be, you weren't prescribing mushrooms out of the pharmacy, though. Not yet. They weren't legal, and they're not yet legal in Arizona, but I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> so um, I guess just to linger a little bit on that, what did you learn as a pharmacist that you think has helped you in real estate? Because I I think it's uh, – so I don't have too much transparency into what goes on behind the scenes in a pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, I think probably for me, uh, it, it, and because I own the pharmacies, working with people and managing people, I think that's probably the most, uh, the, our ability to get along, our ability to lead, our ability to manage others. And when you think about it, we're, we're always managing people, whether I'm, I'm speaking with my wife, my folks, my siblings, my kids, they're managing me, I'm managing them. How we communicate, how we lead, I, I think is crucial. And so... For me, the experience would, would be uh, mentoring or managing people. And then the second piece I would take out of that is managing inventory. So I, I always joke, if you want to talk about managing inventory, let's talk about managing amoxicillin, Viagra, and Oxycontin. Your employees will steal that before the public can even get to it, right? But here in, in real estate, you know, if we're going to do multifamily and, 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 we're, and a water heater goes out, is it smart at this point in time to buy two, three, four water heaters and because you, you realize they're going to eventually wear out in your multifamily units or even like things like ceiling fans when they're on sale or they're on clearance at Home Depot and you only need two or three. Do you buy the six, seven, and eight knowing that you're going to need them down the line? So inventory control, managing people, I think those are my biggest lessons. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that. That's, that's pretty cool. And so what is, I guess you started in fixing and flipping and it seems like you've transitioned away from that. I guess, what was your, how long did you fix and flip? And then what kind of was your mentality as you, you wanted to get, go bigger in real estate? So, so for me, what, what I learned and, and I've done wholesaling and I've done flipping and nothing wrong with them. H happy to show you how to do that. Help you scale that business. I have out here. You're welcome to look him up. His name is Jay, the home buyer out in Phoenix, Arizona, got him up to doing 40,000 a month in wholesaling. So every strategy is an effective strategy in real estate. For me, as I've gotten a little older, I, I felt that creating wealth, long-term wealth, for me is going to be more buy and hold. Um, 
I could rip out carpet with the rest of them. I, I, I used to do my own flooring till my knees said they didn't like doing the flooring anymore. But come the first of the month, those rent checks come in, whether I'm home here in Scottsdale, whether I'm visiting you, whether we're in New York or whether I'm in the moon, those rent checks come in. Now, let's admit, not every rent check comes in every time, right? So people talk about real estate being a passive investment. It doesn't mean that there's no work involved. Of course, there's work involved. But however, for, 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 for real creating wealth, you look at the Forbes, as you mentioned, I'm on the Forbes Real Estate Council. You look at the top 400, top 100, how they made their money. Most of them, the majority made their money in real estate investing by buying and holding and scaling. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I know it seems like from how we spoke or what we spoke about before the show that you, um, you know, and now you want to buy and hold and you want to get cash flow from your real estate. So um, I'm curious, I guess, to start, let's just talk about your investment thesis and, and where you're investing. So, right. So we're, so I spent most of my time investing where I live. If you ever heard the story of acres of diamonds, you pretty much have everything you need in your backyard. However, the Phoenix market is extremely volatile. When stuff goes up, it goes up. When stuff goes down, it goes down. So we were in an up market for many years. I was able to buy uh, 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 four plexes, eight plexes for anywhere for 75,000, 85,000 a door. I think the cheapest you can find something in, in a kind of a rough neighborhood today is 150,000 a door. And here, here in the in our Valley Phoenix area, probably really realistically closer to 200,000 or more per door. And let's admit it, it, it's all about the math. There's no emotion involved. If it's 200,000 a door and, and the sucker cash flows at a good cap rate and a good cash on cash return, still a good deal. But things weren't cash, cash flowing at, at good percentage at good cap rates. So I've looked into other markets. I, I found myself, and I'm always looking to the market. So if anybody wants to do a partnership or joint venture, please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to do it because you need solid boots on the ground. So I got a business partner in the Cincinnati area, and we've got some, we've got a 16 uh, sixteen unit apartment tied up for, I want to say about 68,000 a door. Uh, and, and prices there are for anywhere between 68 and 80,000 a door. You can still get uh, double digit cash returns, double digit cap rates. Um, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for returns. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I guess with the volatility in the market now, are you seeing opportunities come back in Phoenix? So the answer is yes. However, let me put the asterisk there. However, sellers take a long time to educate. Buyers can smell opportunity, right? Buyers know rents are stake. Buyers know prices have, have leveled off. Sellers, you know, they, they, they need a little bit more time for education. And so we let the marketplace educate them because if whatever they're asking for today, they're not getting. And so we cycle back on all our offers every 35 to 45 days. So, so just because you made an offer and the offer was no, that doesn't mean it's a dead deal. It just means I'll see you in 30 to 45 days. And, and, and God bless you. If someone wants to pay you 2 million or whatever you're asking for a door and you can get that, take it. That would be best for you and your family. But savvy investors know that in any business, you make your money when you buy because you can't control the future. You know, the, the joke is, you know, I had a crystal ball, but it broke. Uh, no one knows what the future holds. Are we going to have another pandemic? Are interest rates going to continue to rise? What's the Fed going to do? What's unemployment? Those are things we cannot control. We cannot control unemployment. We cannot control this, that, or the other. But here's what we can control. We can control our strategy. 
And so as long as we buy right, whether we're flipping, whether we're wholesaling, whether we're holding, doesn't matter. Regardless, we're going to make our money when we buy. That's where the that's where the wealth, that's where the opportunities are created. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And so back to kind of more specifically your investment thesis, seems like it seems like generally there's a trade-off between lower risk, higher quality assets, which pay you less. And I guess lower, I guess, a, you know, classy, lower properties that are more risky that pay you more. But obviously there's a reason why maybe people are willing to pay or people don't want to pay his top dollar for these properties. So I guess I want to think more, um, you know, do you have a sweet spot? And then we can get into that. So, so you're spot on, dude. Like, like you're spot on with that. And so your 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 insurance company, uh, insurance companies, uh, people that want to park money will buy Class A property that's all fixed up, and they'll pay retail, and they're happy with the low cap rate because that's a safe and secure for them. So that's their strategy or thesis, however you want to look at it. But for us as investors, you know, we, we would like to be able to leverage. We'd like to be able to scale. And so if again, you're spot on. So for our strategy, we don't mind bringing value to the marketplace. Even if it's a B class or C class property, you usually our, our, our sweet spot for a seller is uh, usually an, an older person or an older trust where they've stopped doing the upscale maintenance and they've also stopped raising the rents. And so they don't do the work themselves anymore, or they're not doing the maintenance at all, whether it's yard work or leaky faucets. And the tenants aren't calling the landlord because of a leaky faucet or weeds, because they're afraid if the landlord comes out and does work, they're going to raise their rents. So, so we call that you know deferred maintenance. So our sweet spot is buying properties that have deferred maintenance, where we can bring value to the marketplace. And when we work, when we do this, and we work with our investors, our investors know that their return is not going to be really solid for at least 12 to 18 months down the road. And, and the reason for that is someone just signed a lease yesterday and I have to honor that lease for 12 months before I can get in there, update, upgrade, charge higher rents. That's our way of bringing value to the marketplace. So, right. you know, we're, 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 we're not a get rich quick, right? But we're get rich slow and get rich slow in real estate works every time. Absolutely. Um, you did mention that sometimes people don't always pay rent and right. So I, I'm wondering if that's a, a problem you deal with more acutely in a more deferred maintenance, deeper value add strategy. Sure. And sure. Um, yeah, I guess just how do you mitigate that? So great. So I, I, I'm doing a remodel on a house right now, an old red brick house, I think built in the forties. And the original owner was grandpa who then left it to their kids. The kids are now adults and they rented it to their kids and their kids quit paying rent. They're like, well, we don't need to pay rent. It's our parents, you know, right? And so I had a motivated seller on a single family residence. I bought it five, six, seven years ago for like 68,000. It's now worth over 300. And the kids, because I'm a management company, pay your rent or I'm gonna evict you. And so parents wouldn't do that to their kids. I have no problem doing it. This is my business. It's not a hobby. And to take it one step further, when we invest, we want to invest and we buy multifamilies or whatever we're going to buy, we want to be in a landlord-friendly state, right? So you start going into California, you start going into New York, where the eviction process is difficult. Um, I'm originally from Chicago. I, I heard some horror stories where um, 
people would go to rent a place in the in the fall because they knew in the winter they could not pay their rent because the judge would evict them in the winter time. And so that's a strategy for someone looking to rent a place. Not, not a good environment for us as investors. So regardless of my political views or how liberal I am, when it comes from an investing standpoint, we want to invest in landlord-friendly states. Absolutely. And so what's Phoenix's outlook on, on, on that and maybe Cincinnati as well? So for so Phoenix, obviously Arizona, it's a purple state now, but it's very landlord friendly. So your rent is due on the first. If you don't pay it by the fifth, I can give you a five day notice, which says pay me or I'm going to evict you. And then after five days, if you don't pay me, I, I file what's called a forcible detainer. I, I can do this all myself. As we've grown, we started to use attorneys for the forcible detainer. And our laws here say you have to be before a judge within 10 days. You have to. So now on the first, you don't pay, give you five day notice. We're going to be get the forcible detainer. You're not going to be before a judge in 10 days. And I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. Because in the in, in the old days, when I used to do it myself, I would show up. And, and I, I saw a case once where a gal went before the judge and the judge said to her, did you pay rent? And she said, no, I didn't, Your Honor. But let me tell you about the landlord. You know, when the summertime came, he didn't fix the air conditioning. We've had leaky faucet. Our toilet's overflowing. A anything you could think of that goes wrong, she told the judge, this is wrong with my place. And the judge said sympathetically, you know, you, you've, got a, you've got a fair, valid point. Uh, unfortunately, it's not in this courtroom. So you didn't pay rent. Well, no, Your Honor, I didn't pay rent. Gavel goes down. You're evicted. So we're in a very landlord-friendly state, and, and so is Ohio. Ohio is also a very landlord-friendly state, very similar in the eviction process. And, and let me say, very, to be very honest with you, I have no desire to evict anyone, none. First of all, I'm a compassionate human being, but second of all, that means I've got turnover and vacancy, and I'm probably gonna have to paint and do something to the flooring, and so that's gonna be an outlay of capital. So as long as my tenants talk to me and say, hey, I, I'm going to be late this month because, because I don't get paid till the Friday and Friday's the seventh of the month. Or I work for Uber and I got sick and I didn't have money for two weeks, but I'll pay you on the 12th. As long as you, you can communicate with me, I'm happy to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely have a prerogative not to deal with the headaches of finding a new tenant and, you know, right. whatever else comes along with that. So um, yeah, occupancy, Sometimes people like want to push rent as high as they can, but really a lot of times occupancy is the most important, you know, piece of line item on the on the on the uh, income statement. I, I agree that and and uh, just you know responding to tenants' challenges with fixing stuff that breaks. Mm -hmm. Keep your tenants happy. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, part of me, part of my love of multifamily. Um, you know, I have a lot of love for a lot of asset classes and interested in, in being, you know, I guess an investor in wherever I see opportunity, but something I love about multifamily is that you're providing a physiological need for someone, you know, that you're literally putting roofs over people's heads. And um, I think it's, it's something to be um, happy about. And it seems very fulfilling. It, it is fulfilling, especially when tenants continue to re-up their lease and they don't turn over because we do a nice job. Um, the only time we tend to lose tenants is if they end up buying a house or they move out of state. Other than that, we get referrals from our tenants who reach out to me and say, you know, I, I have someone looking, do you have something available? Or I just switched jobs. 
I'm in a different part of town. Do you have something in this part of town? We'd like to stay with you as our management company. And so that, to me, that's um, that's that's an ultimate compliment. Yeah, it's awesome. And so um, back to Phoenix, there's this uh, funny thing that you that people who are not in Phoenix see in the news and, and probably think about, you know, news sens- over sensationalized things. But um, I'll just get to the point. Is Phoenix running out of water? Yeah, so there's a town in Phoenix called Real Verde that never really had access to water. They had hauled water and shared water. Um, and some parts of Rio Verde actually has, has well water, but but not all of it. So the city of Phoenix proper and all its surrounding cities, like Glendale, Peoria, Tempe, Mesa, Gilbert, Chandler, there have plenty of water. It, Phoenix as, as a city doesn't grow up like uh, Chicago skyscrapers, New York skyscrapers, LA skyscrapers. Phoenix sprawls. We have so much land, we, we, we go out instead of up. So the new developments is are, are, are not protected. And so that's where the challenge with water comes in. But um, as I mentioned to you before the show starts, the, the, we're close to the Indian reservations and the Indian reservations have plenty of water. So these towns have made deals with the Indian reservations to supply water. And so, um, yeah, yeah, was it over sensationalized? Probably. Is there a solution coming? Absolutely. Awesome. That's good to hear. Um, it seems like a, a great city. Nonetheless, it's funny. I'm, I'm from the East Coast, so I don't know many people from Phoenix, but I learned uh, a while back that it's the fifth largest city by population, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And not um, mistaken. yeah, yeah, and that's pretty. That's pretty cool. That uh, seems like a, a good spot. Definitely. Um, Dude, it's, it's a great spot. And then it also has the stigma of being old, like old people live here. And that was true back in the 60s and early 70s. But the median age for the population is 35 to 40. So we've got a great young population, a lot of regentrification, a lot of opportunity zones. And um, I'd like to think that we have good sports teams. So that's still to be determined. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know necessarily about that. But, uh, but, um, yeah, no, wait, there's the, the Suns, right? They're good. Well, the Suns are good right now, right? The Diamondbacks are good for a while. The Cardinals is always a question mark and the Coyotes and hockey. They've never really been good, but if you like hockey, they're a fun team to watch. Yeah. I love hockey. I'm a Capitals fan though. <laughs> but, um, so in terms of getting into education, I know you, you find a lot of, you're very passionate about educating people and, um, and you know, that's a, you know, great. It's something I, I, I share with you as well. I love people listening to this podcast and getting something out of it. But um, how did you discover that interest in education and then kind of love to hear your story there? Well, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. So so um, when I owned pharmacies, there was a position opened up at Rio Salado College to teach the pharmacy technician program. And I thought that'd be kind of fun to do since we hire interns and such and we educate them. So I did that for a few years. And when the opportunity came to start with real estate investing from our local RIA, I started attending and I was talking to the owner of our RIA, a guy named Alan Langston, and told him what I was doing. And he asked me if I'd like to write a course. I was doing a lot on lease options. That's what I was doing with my my, my, my rental properties. And so I wrote the course and from one thing led to another. So I teach courses on how to buy property in bankruptcy, how to buy property in foreclosure. Uh, we did boot camps and such. And so that's, th- thank you, Richard. That, that's a real passion for me. You know, and, and uh, I, I equate it to, well, when I was a kid growing up, I used to watch this cartoon called the Flintstones. Don't you've ever heard of them, but uh, Fred Flintstone and Wilma, they lived in a town called Bedrock back in the Stone Age. And Fred would work down at the rock quarry and his boss's name was Mr. Slate. 
And Mr. Slate would always, when whenever Fred would screw up, he'd go, good help is hard to find, right? And so I would equate that to today. Today, good help is hard to find. So the point being that there's concepts from a long time ago that are still holding true today. And I can equate that to real estate. The concepts in real estate investing really haven't changed much over the over the bedrock ages. What might change in real estate is the color of the countertops, the types of appliances, the flooring, uh, may, maybe sometimes the layout, but the concepts of how you buy, how you bring value, the, the, the NOI, the cap rate, the cash on cash return, the balance sheet, creating assets and creating equity, those concepts remain the same. So being able to teach and educate um, is much like teaching someone how to ride a bike. I don't know when the last time you rode a bike, but if I took you out in my parking lot and put you on a bicycle, maybe it was six months ago, maybe it was six years ago, it's not going to take you long to start riding the bike up and down. Or when you go out of town and you rent a car, it may not be the same car that you're used to driving, but when you get in the concepts, gas pedal, brake, the mirror, this, that, and the other, there are some differences, but you're pulling out of that rental car and you're driving to your destination and you're getting used to it. So the same is true when I educate in real estate investing. Once you get the concepts, time can pay. Yes, the concepts don't change. So I enjoy educating others. It's something that I that I do. I have a consulting practice where I teach one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's wholesaling, flipping, buying, holding, working with investors, partnerships, joint ventures. Only because I've been doing it for a while, and I think I'm pretty successful. Um, I, I enjoy that. Seeing others create wealth and being able to pass that on generationally, creating cash flow, so working, supplying for their family, providing for their family. It's a passion for me. And that, as you can tell, I, I'm passionate and I enjoy it. Great. So I guess what's the the first lesson um, you like to teach your your clients or your students um, in terms of, you know, where to start? I guess, what is the sure. biggest challenge you see and uh, how do you overcome sure. that? Well, I, I'm going to teach you two lessons. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen this thing put up by the Food and Drug Administration. It's called the food pyramid. It's different levels of food you're supposed to eat. I created one for real estate investing. And the first layer, maybe we can put it in the show notes. The first layer is wholesaling. People say, I'm going to start with wholesaling so I can make some money. And then when I have enough money, I'm going to go to the next layer, which is fixing and flipping. And when I do that, I'm going to create some, some much bigger dollars. And then when I have enough, I'm going to go to the next layer. And that's going to be buy and hold. Whether it's a condo, townhome, town single family residence, duplex, triplex, fourplex, whatever that looks like. And then after I do that for a while, I might sell or scale and get into apartments. And then the top rung is going to be, oh, I'll be a hard, I'll be a hard money lender or I'll buy notes. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to use that real estate pyramid because I see that with beginners. You can start anywhere you want on that pyramid. You want to do multifamily? Let's start with multifamily. You want to do condos and let's start there. So regardless of of where you want, you think you need to start, I'm here to tell you, you can start anywhere. That's my first lesson. And the second lesson would be, let's create some clarity of what you want. You know, so someone says, oh, I want to make a lot of money, right? Okay, here's a dollar, go away, right? So let's determine exactly how much money we're talking about. Is it an extra five grand a month? An extra 10 grand a month? Is it a hundred grand a month? What does that look like? And how do we achieve it? And we'll break, we'll, we'll, we'll break that down into bite-sized pieces and we'll start working on that program right away. So creating clarity. If you don't have clarity, you're going to get discouraged because you're going to start chasing deals. Wholesalers send you deals. You chase over here, you chase over there. Nothing works out. And, and, if, you, and if you don't have clarity, not only will you get discouraged, 
but you'll probably say, you know, this stuff doesn't work. I tried it, it didn't work. And so you'll become disengaged. And so we want clarity. So we know what we're looking for. And, you know, there's an old expression, seek and ye shall find. I add to that, but, but you got to seek. So once you start seeking, know what you're looking for, you're going to find it. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, accountability is a big aspect too, given it's uh, a lot of, you know, shiny object syndrome and, you know, going to make sure. And then also, you know, it motivation can ebb and flow. So having someone that can give you a constant or having a way of giving yourself a constant through, you know, the different challenges and things that come up with is definitely something important, I think. And, and that's why we have the coaching consulting program for that accountability. But I got to tell you, you're spot on. There's so many things that are looking for our eyeballs, whether it's crypto, right? Whether it's oil and gas, other investments, the stock market, the bond market, uh, precious gems. Um, the, the, there's so many opportunities that if you don't have clarity, and you don't have a plan and you don't have accountability, just like you said, then you're going to get distracted. And you're going to go on to like, just like you said, to the next new shiny thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a challenge, but um, it's uh, the clarity of what you want and creating a plan. That's definitely, um, definitely helpful. It makes a lot of sense. So um, I'll appreciate that. Um, sure. You ready for the lightning round? Uh, okay. I'm ready for the lightning round. Let's do it. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to warn you. I usually warn people. That's but, okay. Uh, I've been, been there before. <laughs> yeah, you're an entrepreneur. You, uh, you're, you're used to thinking on your feet. Uh-huh. So what's your, what superpower would you want if you could have any superpower? Oh, go back in time. I'd like the time travel. I think they'd be really cool. Go back and see Babe Ruth. Go back and see Newt Rockney. Go back and see, meet people who are no longer with us and get to learn their perspective. Yeah. If I had to pick a baseball player to go back, it would be Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax. Yeah. yeah. And otherwise, I'd go back and uh, hang out with um, Plato, I think. There you, well, there you go. Plato. Yeah. That's Aristotle, maybe. Yeah. That's going back in time, brother. Yeah. It seems like a good good time. Not much has changed if you if you read if you read Plato, realize how much has not changed. Oh. Uh, agreed. Yeah. It's awesome. So what's your favorite book? I was the one that's helped you the most. Yeah. Uh so there's a book that was written by a guy named Richard Bach. It's called Illusions of a Reluctant Messiah. So Illusions of a, Re- a Reluctant Messiah. I think would be my, my favorite book when people ask me. It certainly helps with a mindset and it certainly helped me do some breakthroughs as well. Yes. Awesome. And so what motivates you to continue each day? Dude, I just, I love what I do. Uh, I, I can honestly tell you when when I, when I've done real estate investing, no two deals are alike. I, I love making deals. I love negotiating deals, um, especially things like seller finance deals, working on, working with partners, joint ventures, uh, working with others, creative financing, subject to deals, um, really uh, sell a carrybacks, also called purchase money mortgages. Um, I just, I enjoy that. For me, that's fun um, you know, and, and, and challenging. Right. And so what advice would you give to someone who wants to follow in your footsteps? So great. So, um, so, I, um, so there was a study done back in the 1940s, 1950s, where they interviewed uh, all these famous, the Rockefellers, the Fords, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, they interviewed all these people and asked them, if you could do one thing different, what would you do? And 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 most of them came back with uh, start sooner, right? Oh, I would start sooner in my life. Uh, but Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa had the exact same answer and it was different. And I found that interesting. And, and their answer was, I'd think bigger. 
And you think about Dr. King and Mother Teresa, how everybody would know them and how they touched almost everyone in the world. And you would say, how could you guys think bigger, right? But that was their answer, think bigger. So I would encourage anybody who's listening today to whatever you're thinking of, think bigger. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, since I put you on the spot, I want to give you a chance for revenge. So what's one question you have for me? And so why'd you start doing a podcast? Yeah, so really, I let curiosity go in the driver's seat. You know, I want to learn from people like yourself, experts in the industry. Um, and I want to, you know, make sure I can provide something of value to you as well in order to, um, you know, be respectful of your time and to make the most of our time. So I want to, that's, that's one motivation, but also I realize there's people out there who might not have, might not know about real estate um, and might be curious and, but not as outgoing or, um, you know, <laughs> as ambitious as, as myself and, and not want to, you know, put themselves out there. But I thought this would also be a way to educate people and, and introduce people to something that I'm very passionate about and that I love and that I think will be good for them and helpful. Um, so so whenever I get a little note or a nice review, it makes me feel very good knowing that I'm helping people as well as, you know, learning as much as I, as I possibly can. So I'll ask you one more. And that's what, this is one I haven't been able to figure out yet, but maybe you can help me. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Well, when I grow up, I want to be a, I guess one definitely want to own a lot of real estate. I want to be a real estate investor, um, an owner operator, but to, you know, in terms of what I want to be when I grow up, it's, it's people always think about it in terms of like the question is really what job do you want to have? Right. In this, in this society that we have, people define themselves as a worker and a consumer, right? That what, what do you want to be when you grow up is the thing that you spend your time so that you can create, gather the, the funds and the money to then be able to spend on the things you want to do when you're not the thing that you just said that you are, right? That you want to be a, a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, right? But I guess what I want to be when I grow up is really what I want to be right now, which is a person who's goal is to constantly grow success is defined by improvement by self-improvement self-knowledge um and wisdom um so i I guess what i want to be when i grow up is is someone who continues learning and and having curiosity and the the passion for for self-improvement and for creating these strong relationships with the people around you that are mutually beneficial and i think that's a you know, it's hard. It's a really hard question, right? Because I'm trying to define it in terms that society isn't used to defining what you are um, as. But I think that that's that's getting towards how I I will see myself as successful. Great answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Stuart. And sure. I, I um, yeah, yeah, and uh, I'd love to I guess give you an uh, opportunity to let or you know, where can people find out more about you and, and learn about what you have to offer? And then also, if you have any final re- closing remarks you want to leave leave everyone with, that I, I'd love to hear it. Sure. So uh, I, I give everybody no charge of what I call a 30-minute momentum session. So if anybody would like to just have a conversation with me, I would love to have a conversation with you, talk about what you're, what you're thinking, what you create, help to create some clarity. But I just wrote a, a new ebook called Why Real Estate? Why Now? And so if you want to go to my website, it's free. Um, we're going to publish it on Amazon. It'll be my second book being published. Uh, my first one was an international bestseller called No Agent Needed. 
and and of course I have articles in Forbes magazine. But why real estate? Why now? Go to my website. It's free, and I'm I'm not a high hard sales guy, so there's no 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 follow up. If, if you want to reach out to me, my Calendly link is there. But the website's pretty simple. It's called contactstuart.com. Contactstuart s t u a r t dot com, and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. We can see where that goes. In any closing comments, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're putting out there, Ben, being able to help people and educate people. I, I think when you take a look at uh, all the gurus out there, there's there's a what I there's the agenda of the program, there's the agenda of the audience, and there's what I call the hidden agenda. And the hidden agenda is the upsell to the next level, to the next level, the upsell. And I always found that cheesy. So um, so our programs are pretty much one on one, creating success. And if you'd like to have that 30 minute momentum session, please feel free to reach out. I'd be honored to have a conversation. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, learned a lot and and um, respect what you're doing. And I share that passion for educating people. So um, it's great to connect. And Stuart and everyone listening, keep making milestones. Before you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to another awesome episode of Real Estate Milestones. If you've been enjoying the show and you'd like to offer your support, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to increase the show's visibility and help the message get out to a greater audience. I really appreciate your time and support, and keep making milestones. The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision-making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts.